Hello, welcome to the self-learning podcast by Dr. Shushma Singh. Let us start discussion on chapter 5, Indian Sophologist. And our topic is Gurier on caste and race. G.S. Gurier's academic reputation was built on the basis of his doctoral dissertation at Cambridge, which was later published as Caste and Race in India, 1932. Gurie's work attracted attention because it addressed the major concerns of Indian anthropology at the time. In this book, Gurie provides a detailed critique of then dominant theories about the relationship between race and caste. Herbert Richley, a British colonial official who was deeply interested in anthropological matters was the main proponent of the dominant view. This view held that the human beings can be divided into distinct and separate races on the basis of their physical characteristics such as the circumference of the skull, the length of the nose or the volume or size of the cranium or the part of the skull where the brain is located. Richley and others believed that the India was a unique laboratory for studying the evolution of racial types because caste strictly prohibits intermarriage among different groups and had gone done so for, for centuries. Richley's main argument was that the caste must have originated in race because different caste groups seemed to belong to distinct racial types. In general, the higher caste approximated Indo-Aryan racial traits while the lower caste seemed to belong to non-Aryan aboriginal, Mongoloid or other racial groups. On the basis of the differences between the groups in terms of average measurements for length of nose, size of cranium, etc., Richley and others suggested that the lower caste were the original aboriginal inhabitants of India. They had been subjugated by the an Aryan people who had come from the elsewhere and settled in India. Gurie did not disagree with the basic argument but put forward by Richley, believed it to be only partially correct. He pointed out the problem with using averages alone without considering the variation in the distribution of a particular measurement for a given community. Gurie believed that the Richley's thesis of upper caste being Aryan and the lower caste being non-Aryan was broadly true only for northern India. In other parts of India, the intergroup differences in the anthropometric measurements were not very large or systematic. This suggested that in most of India, except the Indo-Gangetic plain, different racial groups had been mixing with each other for a very long time. 
thus racial purity had been preserved due to the prohibition on intermarriage only in hindustan proper that is north india in the rest of the country the practice of endogamy marrying only within a particular caste group may have been introduced into groups that were already racially varied today the racial theory of caste is no longer believed but in the first half of the 20th century it was still considered to be true there are conflicting opinions among historians about the aryans and other arrival in the subcontinent however at the time that guria was writing these were among the concerns of the discipline which is why his writings attracted attention guria is also known for offering a comprehensive definition of caste his definition emphasizes six features the first one is caste is an institution based on segmental division this means that society is divided into a number of closed mutually exclusive segments or compartments each caste is one such compartment it is closed because caste is decided by birth the children born to parents of a particular caste will always belong to that caste on the other hand there is no way other than birth of acquiring caste membership in short a person's caste is decided by birth at birth it can neither be avoided nor changed the second is caste society is based on hierarchical division each caste is strictly unequal to every other caste that is every caste is either higher or lower than every other one in theory though not in practice no two caste were ever equal third the institution of caste necessarily involves restrictions on social interaction especially the sharing of food there are elaborate rules prescribing what kind of food may be shared between which groups these rules are governed by ideas of purity and pollution the same also applied to social interaction most dramatically in the institution of untouchability where even the touch of people of the particular caste is thought to be polluting fourth following form from the principles of the hierarchy and restricted social interaction caste also involves differential rights and duties for different caste these rights and duties pertain not only to religious practices but extend to the secular world as ethnographic accounts of everyday life in caste society have shown interaction between people of different castes are governed by these rules fifth 
caste restricts the choice of occupation which like caste itself is decided by birth and is hereditary. At the level of society, caste functions as a rigid form of the division of labor with specific occupations being allocated to specific caste. Sixth, caste involves strict restrictions on marriage. Caste endogamy or marriage only within the caste is often accompanied by rules about exogamy or whom one may not marry. This combination of rules about eligible and non-eligible groups helps reproduce the caste system. Gurie's definition helped to make the study of caste more systematic. His conceptual definition was based on what the classical text prescribed. In actual practice, many of these features of caste were changing, though all of them continue to exist in some form. Ethnographic fieldwork over the next several decades helped to provide valuable accounts of what was happening to caste in independent India. Between the 1920s and 1950s, sociology in India was equated with the two major departments and Bombay and Lucknow. Both began as combined departments of sociology and economics, while the Bombay department in this period was led by G.S. Gurye. The Lucknow department had three major figures, the famous Trinity of Radha Kamal Mukherjee, the founder D.P. Mukherjee and D.N. Mazumdar. Although all three were well known and widely respected, D.P. Mukherjee was perhaps the most popular. In fact, D.P. Mukherjee or D.P. as he was generally known was among the most influential scholars of his generation not only in sociology but in intellectual and public life beyond the academy. His influence and popularity came not so much from his scholarly writings as from his teaching. His speaking at academic events and his work in the media including newspaper articles and radio programs D.P. came to sociology via history and economics and retained an active interest in the wide variety of subjects ranging across literature, music, film, Western and Indian philosophy, Marxism, political economy and development planning. He was strongly influenced by Marxism though he had more faith in it as a method of social analysis than as a political program for action. D.P. wrote many books in English and Bengali. His introduction to Indian music is a pioneering work considered a classic in its genre. Now let us wind up the session and thank you very much for engaging yourself with the self-learning podcast.